the perplexity of the disciples at the identity of this man, yet fully God. And, uh, they struggled with that, just as I think we do years later with all the scripture that we have. And uh, to contemplate the incarnation that God would, be, would come and be man and subject himself to um, the weaknesses of man and then display at times, as Paul said, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, um, but took upon himself the form of a servant. Every once in a while, when it was the will of the Lord, he displayed that divinity and uh, it shocked the disciples and those around who he truly was and what he could do. Genesis chapter 12, in your Bibles, if you turn over at Genesis chapter 12, the times we have on Sunday night, of all the services um, in, the, in a year, Sunday nights are our most unique services because missionaries, um, hospitality, uh, different uh, uh, communion services on Sunday evenings throughout the quarter, ministry reviews, a lot of things, business meetings at times. And uh, so Sunday nights have a tendency to be very uh, different on our schedule. Wednesdays are, are pretty much the same. Sunday mornings are pretty much the same. And so uh, sticking with some series on Sunday evenings are... Um, Sometimes uh, can can be a while to, to keep up and a lot of breaks in between at times. But uh, as I was thinking about and praying about the first of this year and starting in, and I had desired a year or so ago to study some of the patriarchs. I've read through Genesis um, fairly regularly over my um, walk with the Lord. So Genesis is a familiar book, and hopefully it is to you as well. We went through the first 11 chapters on Sunday mornings a couple years ago, or a year and a half ago, and uh, took some time studying the foundational of, of the book of Genesis. From Genesis 12 to the end of the book is going to focus more on the life of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, mainly Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph. Uh, Isaac was only a, a shorter portion, but he is in the line of the patriarchs and what God is going to do. And then finally, at the end of the book, the prophecy that they will end up in Egypt. And Moses uh, writing by inspiration, the book of Genesis, uh, to uh, lay for us a foundation of where we came from, answering the basic fundamental questions for the first 11 chapters. And then the next uh, group of, of the narrative of Genesis is going to focus on the beginnings of Israel itself and a pattern through their founding fathers. We see that in Genesis chapter 11. Just a few comments here as we go from 11 to 12 and the transition of 11. First section of chapter 11 is the story of the Tower of Babel. Remember after Noah and his sons got off the ark, they were to spread out over all the world. But what happened is everyone funneled to this one valley, this one region of Shinar. And there, they, uh, a group of uh, which the population of the world that centered right in that area, all marrying, all living together instead of spreading out as the Lord intended them to do. 
And then they came together and said, let us make a tower. Let us make a name. Let us be a mighty people. Let us uh, build a tower towards God. Let us uh, establish our own worship and make us a name in this world. And God came down, saw the wickedness and how they had disobeyed, and He confounded their language and divided them up among their language, their people, and their tribes. And uh, God inserted himself. In chapter 6 and verse 10, then you have these are the generations of Shem. So you have a genealogy here in Genesis chapter 11 that is going to go from Shem all the way down at the end of the chapter to Abraham. And then Genesis chapter 12 is going to open up with Abraham. Genesis uh, 11 verse 10 down to the end of the chapter is actually a continuation of another genealogy mentioned in the previous chapter, Genesis chapter tw- uh, 10. Uh, Genesis chapter 10 verse 21 through 31 follows Shem's line through Elam, Asher, Achphashad, Lud, and Aram. You can look over at Genesis since you just your eyes at chapter 20 in verse 21. Uh, unto Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder, even to him were children born, and then children of Shem, Elam, Asher, Asphasad, and Lud, and Aram. And then it's going to go down in verse 25, and unto Eber was born two sons, the name of the one was Peleg, in his days was the earth divided, and his brother's name was Jochten. Now, look at that name down in chapter 11 in verse 16. And Eber lived four and thirty years and begat Peleg. And Eber lived after begat Peleg four hundred and thirty years and begat sons and daughters. And Peleg lived thirty years. So in fact, both Genesis 10 and Genesis 11 are following the same family line. But when you get to Peleg, Peleg had two sons. One line went to Jochten. One, uh, one line went to, or Eber had two sons, Peleg and Jochten. And one line follows Peleg. In chapter 10, the line that follows uh, Jochten goes to the Tower of Babel. That culminates in chapter 11 with all of these people. And it's showing us the line that would connect to those who had risen themselves up. In chapter 11, it says from Shem, starts with Shem, goes all the way down to Eber. But instead of going to Jochten, it goes to Peleg when the earth was divided and follows his family name down to Abraham, which it ends in the blessing of God's covenant. Interesting, there's a division of Eber. He has these two sons. One ends up at the Tower of Babel in a curse. The other ends up in a line with Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, opening up with a covenant. I just point that out to you to show you there are two, these are two people within the line. The whole flow of Genesis 1 through 11 after Adam and his sons, where you had Abel and Cain. You have this line who is obedient and finds the blessing of God. You have this line who is cursed because they've rejected God's promises and rejected God and live in sin. And because of that, there's consequences. And that is a reminder to us today as well that there is only one line that finds blessing in God. And that is through the line of the covenant, the line of the promise. And we all want to know, whether you're in 
Moses' day, Joshua's day, David's day, or in our day today, how do we get a part of the blessed line? How do we stay in the line where, where we are in God's will and we find the blessing? And one of the things that I want to mention to you just as an introduction here, as we go through from Peleg down to Abram at the end of chapter 11, going into chapter 12, notice just to remember that as they come out of the Tower of Babel and they spread out over the world, God, Jehovah, is worshipped. It's not like He disappears in, in the worship of people, kind of like what ended up happening through the life of Noah when all the world was, was, um, was, was corrupt and evil and Noah was the only eight people. There are still people who are going to follow and be faithful to God. Two of them are, are going to follow a completely different family line. In fact, there's mystery surrounded them in the Old Testament. We're going to read for the rest of the time about Abraham and his descendants. But we have two other people who lived during the time of Abraham who also worshipped Jehovah, who don't become Israelites or don't become Jewish. Do you know those two names, who they are? Well, the first one is Job. Job lives during this time, and he actually comes in, uh, from the land of Uz. Uz is mentioned in Genesis chapter 10 and verse 23. Probably Abraham and Job never met each other. Didn't even know each other existed. And yet here is a man who was righteous and just. And we have a whole book of the scriptures that, that is happening during the time of Genesis and there's no connection to them other than what the Holy Spirit shows us. Here is a man, not, not Jewish, not connected to, to the promise of Abraham, but yet Job is righteous and living uh, a righteous life before God and worshiping God. There's another character whose, whose name comes up in Genesis in passing, but he, he, he only passes Abraham's life just on, on a little portion or spot, but he, he followed a separate line, and he is also a Jehovah worshiper. You know what his name is? Melchizedek. His, little, his name is a little longer than Job. But he was also a worshiper of Jehovah, the king of Salem. And their lives do intersect in chapter 14 in the life of Abraham. My point here is this, is that there were others besides Abraham who God was blessing and God was, um, was showing his love and his grace to and were worshiping him as well. However, God's specific plan for redemption and plan for the human history is going to funnel through Abram. And that's what we're seeing in Genesis chapter 12. Notice, uh, just for if you're a reader and you like some facts and you like noticing things, as, the, as you start with Shem in Genesis chapter 11 and you work your way down to Abram, you realize the lifespan shortens in the life of the father. We start out with Shem living over 500 years. We end up with Nahor, the grandfather of the father of uh, Abraham, a grandfather of Abraham, I believe it is, who lives 138 years. So we move from a vast number of years, especially going back into chapter 5 where you had Methuselah who was living 900 years old. Now by the time we come to Genesis chapter 12, the lifespan of, of a person's life is, is, is narrowed down within a century or just over a century. Now Abraham lives a little longer than that. He lives 175 years, but those who follow him are now going to come much closer to under 100 years. 
Another thing to notice in this line in Genesis 11 is that Abraham is not the firstborn of Terah, but his name is mentioned first. That's not unusual for a secondborn or a thirdborn to be uplifted over the firstborn. That happened uh, previously in, um, in, this, in the Scripture with Shem. Shem was lifted above his older brother. That will also happen in Joseph's life. It will also happen in Jacob's life. It, all, it also happens in Joseph's, grand, uh, Joseph's sons, um, Ephraim and Manasseh, how they will be blessed. So it's interesting that there is uh, Abram is not the firstborn. The word Abram means exalted as to his father. In other words, there was something special that his father saw in Abraham that had a special relationship. They had a close relationship. The father is exalted in his son. So Terah and Abraham probably, or Abram probably had a close relationship together. And that will play probably an important role in Genesis chapter 12 when God will tell Abram, leave your father. Notice the sacrifice. Also, another fact, interesting fact about this is Abram ends up marrying his half-sister. His half-sister. Nahor, his brother, ends up marrying his niece. Those are, that just shows you within this family, they're still intermarrying within the families. Now, the farther we've gotten from Adam and Eve, as the bloodline has become more mutated and polluted. Man is not getting better, as, uh, as evolution says. He's getting worse. We are digressing from Adam down. And some have indicated now you start to have birth problems because an emphasis in Genesis chapter 11 on the fact of Sarah in verse 30. And Sarai was barren. She had no child. All of these mothers and sons who are born, born, born. And now for the first time in the scripture, a woman has, hard, has a hard time bearing a son. Some have indicated that they may possibly be by this time in Abraham after the flood. Now you start to have some problems with the interbreeding of the families and, and the, the issues that happen in birth and, and some struggles that happen as well. We can't be dogmatic about that, but that is an interesting aspect. Now look down in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. I want to see this verse. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haram. So Genesis 11, the story of the Tower of Babel, and then the record of the line of Shem. Remember that Genesis 11 of Genesis is the foundation of all of human history. They answer, these chapters answer some vitally important questions in life. 
Where did we come from? Is there a God? Why is there sin? Why is there death and suffering in this world? Where did marriage come from? Where did the languages of the world come from? Where do the nations come from? Where did we uh, have the ability to eat meat? And what is the rainbow? And why is there judgment? And why do we have all of these fossil records and geological records around the world that seem to record a, Noah's, a, a, a flood around the world? What is, why is the world the way it is today? Genesis 1 through 11 answers those questions for us that are foundation to what we believe. Genesis chapter 12 is now going to pick up with the same theme and the promise of God. God is going to bring out salvation to this broken world. He promised that in Genesis 3, in verse 15, to Adam and Eve. Because sin has entered in, there's going to be a curse upon the land. There's going to be a curse upon the woman. There's going to be a curse upon the serpent. There's going to be a curse upon Adam. You're all going to inherit the curse of death itself, both physically and spiritually. But I have a plan to redeem the world from sin and the curse. The seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent and the serpent will bruise his heel. So now God is going to continue to show that he's not forgotten his promises. He will do it through the seed of the woman. So God needs a seed. So God's plan from Genesis until Matthew chapter 1, for the rest of the Old Testament, is the bringing about of this seed into the world to forgive us of our sins. That's what the rest of Gen from Genesis 12 till the end of Malachi and the opening of Matthew chapter 1. That's the storyline of what God is doing. He is bringing about that promised seed. And while that plan is taking place, while God is protecting the seed of the woman to eventually bring about the Messiah who's going to redeem this world, God is also making for Himself a people and a nation to point all of the world to that one person. He's making a people and a nation so that they would be the light to the promise that one person is the answer to all of our problems, the Messiah. And so, in the Old Testament, eventually the nation of Israel, the people of Israel who have come from Abraham are going to be that light. Not only the vehicle, I think I wrote it this way, Israel is being chosen not just as a vehicle to bring about the Messiah, but an instrument to point to the Messiah. So not only are they going to be the, the way that this family is going to bring out the king who's going to redeem this world through the line, through the promised lead that's going to be born of a virgin, but through this line, this Jewish, Jewish line. So there's so much importance to the family heritage. Even Matthew and Luke take a, a portion of their gospels to record Jesus' family tree all the way back to Abraham and Adam. Because that's important. This is God's promise is going to be fulfilled just like God said. But Israel is also an instrument that says, look, there he is. Now in the Old Testament, they're looking forward to him coming. And they're to tell Ninevites. They're to tell Edomites. They're to tell the Amorites. They're to tell the Egyptians. They're to tell the, the, the pagans and the Moabites and all of them. They're to say, there's an answer to your problem. And his name is Messiah. And he's going to be born by the time we get to Micah in Bethlehem. So all of a sudden, Matthew chapter 2 opens up with, guess what? A three or at least a group of Gentile wise men who can't wait till he comes. 
so that they can bring him gifts and worship him that is born king of the Jews. So with this storyline of, of the, what God is doing through the nation of Israel to both bring about the Messiah and point people to the Messiah and God the Creator. Moses now leaves um, in Genesis 11 the story of the telling of the nations of the world you know, where did this nation come from? Where did Babylon come from? Where did all these languages come from? Where did all these, you know, where did this, you know, Japheth went here and Jephthah went here and Shem went here, all the nations of the world. Okay, that's the big picture. Now Moses says, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to narrow down to Genesis chapter 12 and now I'm going to focus on one family, one person, one couple, And out of that one couple will come a nation that we are still talking about in 2024. That is, in fact, on the headline news today on every channel. And we're still talking about them. From Genesis chapter 12. 2500 B.C. And who's on the headline Where's everybody pointing? Where's everybody looking at? Where's everybody talking about war is going to take place? The Middle East, right around this little area of 175 miles north-south, 75 miles east-west, little small country. I mean, America is twice the size, uh, twice the size, you know, one of the states, I think it's Delaware and, and Israel probably fit about the same size. I mean, it, and, and yet everyone is focused on this one small nation. Why? Because it goes back to Genesis chapter 12. God has a plan, and that plan, we are still talking about it today. Now, just in the evening that we have a few moments, let's look first of all at the command. The command that God is now going to give to Abraham. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country. There's one verb, get out. There are four aspects to this one verb. Get out of thy country, thy kindred, thy father's house, unto a land. That's how the construction of the Hebrew uh, lays out. One word, get out. Leave. Abandon the old way of life and leave it behind. Where was Abram coming from? Genesis 11 verse 28 says he was of the Ur of the Chaldees. The Ur of the Chaldees was the ancient hub of idol worship. It's in the modern day Iraq. It was in a center of worship for the god Nana. Not a grandmother. But the moon god Nana. This is probably the way in um, Chaldean. In fact, one source states that Abram's father, Terah, was a carver of idols for the moon god and the ziggurat that can still be seen the temple that can still be seen in Ur. In fact, I talked to one of the gentlemen uh, after a service one time that uh, was stationed during the Iraq War that said that they have seen the, the, the ancient temple or ziggurat, which is the mound uh, worship place of Ur, and uh, dates back to this time during Abraham's time frame. Um, Abraham spent 75 years in in the Ur of Chaldees, as a pagan, worshiping the moon god. 
Interesting that he would spend 75 years as a pagan worshiping the moon god and God still comes to him and says, come follow me. Abram, even though he lived uh, as a pagan worshiper, God called him out from where he was and age wasn't a problem to God. 75 years, you say, you say that, he's had seven decades that he's lived. He, he, he's not going to learn any new tricks. No, God comes along and says, all right, I'm calling you out. Get out. Follow me. My point is Abram was not a whitewashed saint when God came to him. In fact, um, he, he was a pagan worshiper. He wasn't looking for God. God came looking for him. And yet the scripture tells us that Abram became the friend of God. That Abram became a model of a man of great faith. How can a man who spends 75 years of his life worshiping the moon become a friend of Jehovah? How does that happen? In fact, a man that's not looking for Jehovah, but was having a fine time just doing what he wanted and worshiping the moon god every, every day. He was just visiting the, the moon god, worshiping the moon. How is it that now he could become the father of, of a nation that would be tied to the name of Jehovah? You know, it's one word, grace. Grace. It's not because he deserved it. This is an invitation by God while he was yet a sinner. God came looking for Abram. Abram was a recipient of what we see as divine grace. And Abram and Sarah filled their life with mistakes. They don't become perfect all in Genesis chapter 12. In fact, the next few chapters in the life of Abraham and Sarah is going to be one mistake after another mistake. And yet, God gives them grace. I want to tell you, your life is going to be filled with mistakes. One mistake after another. We talked about that this morning. But your life can be filled with the grace of God. He giveth more grace. Also, another thing is they suffered the consequences of their mistakes. Abraham will suffer throughout this in his journey of walking with the Lord, he will suffer from his own consequences. Sarai will suffer from her consequences. Even as a believer following Jehovah, they will still make mistakes and they'll have to suffer from those consequences. And I'll remind you as well that you will also suffer from your consequences of the decisions you make. You reap what you sow. Just because you get out and you follow God and you begin obedient with Him and you give your life to Him and you give your heart over to Him and you turn from the old ways, you turn to the new, as long as you're in this life, you're going to have some struggles. You're going to make your mistakes and you're going to have to live with the consequences. Don't get mad at God about it. Just bear those consequences and again, find grace. And yet, the story of Abram and Sarai, by faith, they found victory in walking in a relationship with Jehovah. So can you. Isaiah 51 and verse 2, talking of Abram, he says, I have called him alone and I have blessed him. That is a testimony of the grace of God. 
from Adam to Cain to Seth to Enoch to Noah to Shem to Abram, we see one act of God's divine grace after another. Abram's life all over the next many chapters is going to be marked by failure after failure and yet God's grace stays with Abram everywhere he goes. He is far from perfect. Yet God's grace is in every move of his life. And Abram's life will be a microcosm of what God will do for the nation of Israel. Every time the nation of Israel fails, 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 God's grace is right there. His forgiveness is right there over and over and over and over again. So the life of Abram and Sarah is a microcosm of what's going to happen with the journey of faith for the nation of Israel. And so it's interesting as we see this in the life of Abraham and his, and his life of following and finding God's grace. That should encourage us and help us that we don't have to be perfect. It's not about being perfect. It's about finding and relying upon the grace of God daily, every day. Interesting one question that was asked, why did God choose him if he was such a bad guy? Well, the scripture really only answers that question um, in, in, with one term. In fact, Moses tells Israel, why did God choose you? In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 through 8. In fact, let's just go over and look over there before we close here this evening. Deuteronomy 6. Moses wants to remind the nation of Israel that they're not big stuff. They didn't have it all put together, and they still don't have it all put together. For thou art a holy people, Deuteronomy 7 in verse 6, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And we can ask the same question of Abram. Of all the people that were in the earth, the Chaldees, of all the people in the land of Shinar, why did God pick Abram? Verse 7, for the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the people or that you were the fewest of all, for you were the fewest of all people. But here's the answer, but because the Lord loved you. You see, God often does what, what we don't understand just because of his great love. In fact, he likes to go outside of some of the normal things, such as when we would choose a king, we would choose a king that would be head and shoulders over everyone else. Someone that could be powerful, that could look handsome. And, and they're the, but when God chooses a king, he picks the stubby, short, red-headed boy out on the field watching the sheep. Why? Was it because David was better then Eliam? No, it's because of God's love. God's love. And God seeks to do for us the things that we can't necessarily explain. We don't necessarily explain and understand. And we are not the one to question God. But the answer is His great love. And because of His great love. So God comes to Abram because of his love, chooses him. He doesn't deserve it. Yet the other side of the coin is Abraham was given a choice. God told him, get out. Abraham had a choice. 
Do I stay with mom and dad? Do I stay in harem? Or do I go? Do I follow? You see, God reached out to Abram with his grace, yet Abram had to choose of his own free will to obey the command. This is what we call faith. This is the response that we have, the responsibility that we have. I, I don't like to see necessarily faith as what we would see as a work. It's a response to the promise of God. It's a response to the grace of God. Here is the grace. Here is God's promise. I may not understand the reason why. The love itself doesn't seem to answer that. Why did you love me? I just loved you. Why? I don't deserve it. What did you see in me? I just loved you. I've got to accept that by faith and respond. And faith is that response. And Hebrews 11 and verse 8 says, By faith, Abram. When he got word from God, he left his country was by faith. And that's exactly what James is telling us in the book of James in the New Testament. He's telling us that faith is the, is, is, um, the reaction, the obedience behind what we believe from the promise of God. And you're going to see that evidence in your life. So as God calls Abram out, Abram makes the choice to follow God and leave. Now with two minutes left here, Notice what he says, get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, and unto a land that I will show thee. You see, the land is going to play a major part in the life of Abram. Two things in Genesis that come out, two, two facts or themes that are going to come out. The seed, Abraham's seed that's going to be blessed, and the land, the land that God has chosen. And I don't have time to describe why that land, why does the land of Israel, why does the land of Palestine, why does this area of the world, even after thousands of years, is still on the news, is still in God's plan. Why are we reading about it in Zechariah and Ezekiel and in Revelation? Why does Jerusalem and the land of the Holy Land of the promise and all of that continue? Why does God have to have a specific place on the earth that He has a temple and He sets His name? I believe there's some patterns that go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 when he sets the garden up and this temple mentality and, and, um, and, and idea. Uh, but notice when he tells Abram to leave his father and mother and to leave his country and to leave his family and to leave his land to go to a land that I will show you. Notice he doesn't tell him where it is on a map. He doesn't give him a brochure and say, look, there's Jerusalem right there. This is where, look at the beaches along Tel Aviv and look at the mountains and there's great places for, for uh, uh, sheep and you can put your cabin over here in Beersheba and Hebron and, and this is where you're going to bury your wife and your children and you're going to live and look at all the things. No, he just says generally, God knows in his mind where he's going to take him, but he doesn't tell Abram. He just says, get up, leave. I'll, sh I'll take you to a land that I will show you. Abraham doesn't know where he's going. He's just told to go. God doesn't tell Abraham where he's going. He's just to respond. That is called faith. You don't wait until you see the pictures and the brochure and then you say, okay, oh yeah, oh, I see it now. No, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. 
Faith is stepping out upon the promises of God. Sometimes God's direction and leading is surprising and unexpecting. That's the way God works. He doesn't always explain himself and his leading in every detail. He just says, follow. This is a major change in Abram's life. Leaving his father and mother. Moving to a land far away. Don't you think he deserves to know some details? Where the hotels are? Where the bathroom starts are? Where the dangers are along the road? Which battles are we going to face? What people are we going to face? Where are the good things and the bad things? I need to plan this out, Lord. Are you one of those type of people? You're not going to go on a journey until you know where the miles are, where the markers are, where the, where the meal stops are, where the hotels are, what the prices are, where we, when we're going to stop for this and that. You got it all planned out and you got your budget all set. God doesn't work that way. And for those of you that like things to be detailed and planned out ahead of time, you're going to find following God is going to be very difficult. Because following God demands faith. That's why Abram was a man of faith. Because he was willing to step out and leave, make a separation from that which he was comfortable with, and step out following a place, to a place where he doesn't even know where he's going, doesn't know what it looks like, doesn't know when he's going to stop. He doesn't know. He's just told to go. How do you think that helped the nation of Israel looking over the Jordan River with Joshua and Moses' staff in his hand, with the first copy of Genesis, the original copy, scrolled, rolled up. And they're looking across and they're seeing giants, walls, Jericho, Ai, and a Jordan River crossing at the flood stage. We don't know where we're going. Yeah, over there, but I have no idea what we're... And in fact, everything that I can see says that it's impossible. We can't do it. We're just slaves. And yet, Abram was told to go out by faith, follow the plan of God, and God will take care. Have you ever asked the question, why me, Lord? I mean, why me, God? Why did you choose me for this path? Why did you choose me for this journey? Where am I? Where am I going? What are we doing? Why do you think Joseph and Mary felt the same way? God, why me? Now we're going to Bethlehem? Now Egypt? Now back to Bethlehem and now to Nazareth? You think Joseph maybe asked some of those questions? Lord, why did you choose me? You see, God's plans are not, uh, not only surprising but they are astounding. And this leads us to the covenant that God makes with Abram that is amazing and astounding and encourages Abraham because as he goes out, he has something to hold on to. Faith is not blind. Faith is holding on to the covenant and promise of God and saying, Lord, I don't know what's ahead, but but I'm going to trust your word. And God says in the next verse, I will five times. And he says, okay, I'm going to follow your word. And as long as you're with me and protecting me and your promises are sure, we'll make it. We'll make it. And that's exactly what Abram does. That's why he becomes a microcosm for the nation of Israel. And in the New Testament, he becomes a microcosm for the life of a believer. Living by faith, 
means trusting, not blindly, just walking out, just going to stick in your fork everywhere and see, all right, what's going to come up? No, no, no. Everywhere he went, he was going because he was following the promise and covenant of God. Father, I pray as we close tonight. I don't know what this year has for me, our church, or the individual lives of these believers here tonight. But I do know that we can trust the promises of God. And like Abram, we can step out, trust your grace and your, um, your unfailing love, and we can hold on to them as we walk what seemingly to us is in the dark. And Lord, I pray that no matter what you have for these believers here this year, would they commit to this journey of faith. There's temptations that are going to come along the way to, to get back into the old habits and to do the old things. But Lord, every step of the way, would we, would we trust the promises of God? Even when that promise seems to be bleak, and it's not coming about, and I'm 100 years old, and I've been living 25 years, and I haven't seen one baby, and yet your promise is going to come true and continue. And uh, Lord, thank you for the life of Abram and his testimony that's going to be a mark of an example of a great man of faith, not that he was perfect, but that uh, he models for us what it's like to live this life following you day by day. Bless us as we go this week in Jesus.